0: It is the middle of festivities. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and anybody celebrating anything needs to do so joyously. That's what we're all about. This is a program where we're going to talk about the movies that open on Boxing Day, the big day of the movie year. Now, six big films this year, including a couple that are perfect for children. My name's Alex First. This is First on Film and Entertainment. The one and only Jackie Hamilton is here, Peter Krause and Dave Griffiths. And Greg King, I, I reckon Greg's probably stuck somewhere uh, imbibing, shall we say. So we're thinking of you, Greg, and you've thrown a few scores at me for the movies we're going to talk about. So your presence is already here. Jackie Hamilton, how are you doing? How are you celebrating the festive season?
1: Good morning. I'm celebrating, first of all, with the beautiful weather. It's summer, it's holidays, what's not to love?
0: Exactly. Talking about big and lovable, not so much the big, Peter. G'day. Even though, you know, you and I have differences of opinion on most things. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> you quite right. I think we can agree that the festive season is one that anybody and everybody should be joyous and joyful about.
2: Absolutely. It's, it's a, a, a great time of the year to celebrate.
0: And Dave Griffiths, well, I tell you what, you're you're always a busy man, you're you're hither and thither, haven't been travelling as much as you normally do, but I reckon perhaps next year is going to be the year for you, huh?
3: Definitely. I'm hoping to get to a few film festivals overseas next year and a few pop culture conventions. So uh, yeah, there may be some uh, calling in from overseas next year as part of this show. Fantastic. What are you particularly gunning for? Um, I'm hoping to get across to South by Southwest, um, maybe the New York Film Festival, and definitely Scream Fest in Los Angeles. Oh, very good. And are they? Uh, I, I'm pardon my ignorance, but the times of the year are they all sort of in succession, or do you have to go three times? No, there'll be different times of the year, and then yeah, you got San Diego Comic Con in there as well. So yeah, ah uh-huh. you like your United States of America? Now we have got.
0: Six films, as I mentioned, I'm going to do them. But, I mean, we've had a pretty good couple of weeks because we've seen the movies that are expected to be the Academy Award-nominated movies. We can't speak about some of them because they're embargoes, but these are ones that, depending upon your jurisdiction, some open tonight, yes, indeed, Christmas Day, and others open tomorrow, as in Boxing Day, which happens to coincide with the second test match, you'll be delighted to know Peter and Jackie. Anyway, having said that, the Banshees of Inner Sharon is where I want to start. And Jackie, you haven't seen this one, have you?
1: Uh, yes, I have,
0: Alex. Yeah. Oh, terrific. Wonderful. Okay, so we've all seen it. Wonderful. What here's the first question. And I suppose this really goes to um to you, Peter. Was it what does it take to ruin a friendship? Total disagreement? Is that what it takes? No, the, the reason I the reason I'm posing. <laughs> A rhetorical question is: We did find out in the latest eclectic endeavor from a writer and director called Martin McDonough. and I was thinking, are you sort of your ecle- eclectic tastes in movie movies generally? Because they are, your tastes are very different. You see movies that nobody else has ever been heard of, you know. So, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you call them world beaters, and I'm thinking. <laughs> Something else needs to be beaten. Uh, you
2: know, it, it, uh, <laughs> no, no, Where is, is this you know, going? <laughs> it's going off the rails very, very fast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that was a film this year,
0: Off the Rails. Thank you. It was. Uh, I mean, Martin McDonough has a, a strange way of looking at the world. So does Peter Krause. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> Uh, we and,
2: all have our own perspectives, Alex. Correct, we do. We do, and
0: and that sensibility has been the hallmark of McDonough's canon of films, which includes wonderful product like Brew, In Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I mean, who would have even thought of that as a name of a movie? You know, you'd sort of think, oh well, come on, it's too long. It's like you know, it'll never even fit on a business card. But great film. And the Banshees of Inner Sharon continues that trend. And, and I, I should, I suppose, start by saying that Inner Sharon is a made up name for where this film is set. It's a small, picturesque island off the coast of Ireland. Now, have any of you, Jackie, have you been to Ireland? No, I haven't, but I'm happy to go if you want to send me there. For some reason, I th- haven't, I thought you'd been to either Ireland or Scotland. Am I wrong? Scotland,
1: I have, yes.
0: Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, I know you told me about that part of the world. Happy
1: to go back there too, if you want to send me there as well.
0: Yeah, very good. Well, I mean, we've got a lot of of research. Of course, well, we've got a lot in common with the Irish, Dave. I mean, you know, some of the best products that we've seen out here have been Irish footballers, of course,
3: and myself. (laughs) Are you Irish? I am. I'm. My family arrived in Ireland as Scandinavian Vikings and uh, stayed there. So, yeah, I directly came from Ireland. Wow. But you were born here. I was, yep, but um, other members of my family were not, yep. Uh, Peter, I- I'd call you double Dutch, not Irish. <laughs> Thank you very
0: much. <laughs>
2: very good. Okay. Uh, so you've got uh,
0: – now, yeah. I'm not
2: <laughs> – I think I should have my lawyers on standby. I have a feeling I'm going to get a great great class action out of this uh, call. <laughs> no, no
0: doubt. Exactly. And,
2: and –
0: and seeing we're paying you the big dollars, you know, you can, you can, tra- in fact, Jackie's well aware of this because I gave, I I quadrupled her pay last year, didn't I, Jackie? I was very generous.
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm as rich as I was then.
0: <laughs> Correct. Correct. No, no, no. We, we enrich your life. That's what you're really saying, isn't it, Jackie? Oh, thank you, Richard.
1: Okay. Leave, leave poor Peter alone. This is supposed to be a festive joyous season, you just said. <laughs> it is,
0: we're metaphorically sticking a few daggers in, that's all. Nothing oh. Nothing to worry about. Now, Dave, how do you pronounce the character that Colin Farrell plays? Is it Pedrick?
3: Yeah, Pad- well, I would say Pe- Pedrick, which is the way that they pronounced it through most of the film, but I know a couple of other Irish people that have actually looked at that and said that it's said as Patrick. As in Patrick with a D. Yeah, yeah. See, my name uh, in Irish is actually Dafid, which is D A F I D. So, yeah, they do do that with um, Anglo names.
0: Uh, yeah, well, again, this, this is pronunciation is everything, and I usually make a meal of it. Having, having said that, let's call him Pedrick or Padrick. Uh, and you've got Padrick played by Colin Farrell, and you've got another character called Colm Doherty, which is the Brendan Gleason character in this particular picture which is terrific. They're the two stars, and they've been lifelong friends. But now for no apparent reason, and I mean that, suddenly Column Doherty wants to sever the link between them. He wants nothing to do with Pedrick. He doesn't even want Pedrick to address him. Very unusual behaviour. I mean, have you? I've certainly never heard of anything like this in real life. Have any of you? Where somebody no, it's weird. Where somebody says, it is weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, given how weird it is, we we need to find out why, which we do in this movie. So, I mean, the island's a buzz because it's a very small island, and you know, it, it, there's a pub on there, and people gather there on a daily basis. But the first question everyone asks is whether the pair had been feuding, and the answer is an equivocal no. So, fortunately, early on, we do find out why you've got Colum Doherty deciding to ditch Pedrick as a friend. But as extraordinary as that is, it's nothing compared to the consequences of Pedrick continuing to engage with Colum Doherty. Because is a, a composer and a fiddle player, and he goes to extreme lengths to see his wish of not fraternising any more with Pedrick fulfilled. And then you've got Pedrick's sister called Chavorn, played by Kerry Condon, whom he lives with, uh, seeing close hand, cl- up close and personal, what an impact this edict is having on his her brother. And um, she she really doesn't like it one little bit. I mean, it, it's such peculiar behaviour. It's affecting him in particular. And he can't understand why it should be so. Beautiful that it is, I must say, that Inna you know, Sharon is a, is a lonely an isolating place, I mean, this little island, and Siobhan sees her life slipping by. So she's got a rather important decision to make uh, during the course of this picture. And ma- there's a subplot involving a somewhat dull resident and drinking companion of Pedrick, Dominic Kearney, played by Barry Kean, And uh, he's also got a policeman father on the island. I'm not quite sure why you need a policeman on there, but uh, the father's name is Pedr and is played by Gary. Leiden. So what you've got a situation here is that Dominic Kearney, this this rather dull resident and drinking companion, often blurts out the wrong thing, while his father, the policeman, has issues of another another sort. And then there's the island's resident witch-like ghoul who creeps out Pedrick. So it's a, a rather remarkable character study, the Banshees of Inner Sharon, of interpersonal relationships. And it's the interplay that makes the movie as good as it is, Jackie, isn't it?
1: Um, yeah, good. Um, yes, it's uh, it it sort of headlines quirky, really. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of such a weird, and it's quite a slim story. There's not, uh, it doesn't um, have a lot of variation, but I don't think I've ever heard of such a weird, brief a story plot as this, and that was my big problem with it. Um, there's oh, a lot I liked really, about it.
0: That, sorry, you saw that as being the fact that it was a bit out there, a lot out there, that, that troubled you, did it? Because, I mean, originality, this has got all over it, hasn't it?
1: Yes, but I was um, pretty disgusted by it. Not, not just the idea of it, but the fact that he went ahead and did it. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty disgusted by it, and I also didn't really believe it. Uh, There were two things I didn't believe. I didn't believe the premise of why Colm didn't want to talk to his friend of probably his whole life ever again, because their conversation was as banal as his conversations with any of the other people Mm -hmm. at the pub. Uh, What was it about Pedricks that was so much worse? Nothing. And I, I, I didn't really believe the story about him wanting to be a, or believing he could. But if he, if he, if he stayed away from his friend, he could, in fact, become a brilliant um, musical score writer for the fiddle. Mm. I mean, what what gave him that idea? And then when he did one, it was basically barely even mediocre. So how? Could that be enough reason? There wasn't enough reason to do what
0: he did. I'll give you a rationale. As far as I'm concerned, it's it's got to do with his state of mind, and 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 that's part and parcel of what this movie's about. That doesn't doesn't that make it justifiable? Well, I
1: mean,
0: just putting he, it out
1: he, there, the main character of the film had mental health issues. Hmm. Is that what you're saying?
0: I am. I, I'm trying. I, I know you're being. I know you're being circumspect. I am too, because I'm trying not to destroy this for anybody. But yeah, I mean that's that's the essence of it. I mean, obviously, not everybody is going to react the way he has, and we've already said it's a very unusual way to react, and and that's indicative that there's something else going on, and it's got to do with it's his, his mind. The
1: community on the island supports calm by saying. Oh no, no, Patrick! You better stay away. Don't be an idiot. So they turn basically. Well, well I, I,
0: I think they do that because of the consequences of not adhering.
1: Well, no, okay, so Colm needs help. Let's help him.
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Look, it's a it's a reasonable point. Peter, can you can you answer Jackie's claim, or do you do you feel
2: the same way? No. I I really love this film because it is so multi-layered and has metaphors in it which are very important, which you need to uh, understand as you're watching the film. For a start, the film is set in 1923 and we are given uh, a few allusions to the idea that there's an Irish civil war going on on the mainland. So that has possibly been transposed to what is going on in this island in a more subtle sort of way. Secondly, the, the notion of... Banshees, which are women who sort of herald the death of a family member or of something awful or disastrous happening, Uh, the idea of this friendship breaking up, I think, uh, reflects this whole notion that uh, that period of time, 1923 in Ireland, was a difficult period of time for a lot of people because of their differing allegiances. And so I thought the the friendship uh, between... um, uh, the two char- main characters uh, was very cleverly uh, presented, insofar as that it had broken up, and and we're given clues as to why. I was very impressed by this film. Martin McDonough is uh, a, a terrific director who really understands the human condition, and uh, really um, is able to evoke uh, a lot of underlying themes and ideas quite readily.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, Jackie. Not the, you know. Obviously, you've got a different it's a different opinion. But I I really agree with Peter in this one. I I think he's quite a genius. So when when I know there's another Martin McDonough movie coming along, I, I hang out for it. I, I there are very few directors that I've got the highest of regard or higher regard for. Okay, I know they can be violent movies, and some people don't like that aspect of it, and. And you know, it, 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 you've, you've alluded to uh, without mentioning that word th- that there's an inference there in terms of what you're telling us. Did you did, did you find nothing of merit? Did, did you think the acting? Because I thought the
1: acting was outstanding. Oh, the acting is outstanding. Not not. I think the acting of the entire cast, and in fact, what I would say is some of the secondary characters are. Yeah. Uh, Actually, sister. even more interesting: uh, the publican, the policeman, the sister Chavorn, um, the donkey Jenny. <laughs> they're they're, yeah, they're the great Drake characters.
0: Jenny, that's a great point. That, I mean, who would have? But that's what I'm saying: the sensitivity of a director to think about a donkey in the way that the donkey's positioned here. I thought that was that was a stroke
1: of genius again. No. Oh is a big word it's a it certainly adds to the um adds to the film for sure and i also think that the setting on this island is um not not just um brilliant in itself for its sense of isolation but it explains why there's this deep camaraderie between everyone especially at the pub and you know what their links are in the sense of community and why Siobhan's, Moves are very relevant, and those sorts of things. So the island itself is a is a oh, it's brilliant to look at, and it also explains that a lot that the characters
3: have between them.
0: Yes, indeed. Now, Dave, you've heard two sides here. W- which side do you come out on?
3: Well, I really see uh, Martin madonna as the modern day Shakespeare. I I love this film. I thought it was an absolutely brilliant film. I thought part mm-hmm. of the relationship between the two men was an analogy of the of what happened in Ireland in later years where you had um, two groups of people who previously lived together happily, suddenly not wanting to talk to each other. Um, and in doing so, there were some of those groups that said, well, if you come near us anymore, we'll set fire to our own house and things like that. So I thought that was an analogy of what's happened In Ireland over the years Um, I've also heard uh, Another person say to me That they thought that perhaps Colm had a a brain tumour So there's some theories Out there but for me it was an analogy Of what's happened in Ireland over the years Where you did suddenly have Kids who were best friends Suddenly being told no you can't talk To that friend anymore because you're better than him So yeah that's the way I viewed it But I thought it was an absolutely brilliant film yeah, I mean, I thought Farrell was riveting as this sort of man perplexed by he,
0: he just he he just won't let go of his desire to maintain his strong association with his best mate. I mean that, and and Gleeson is ideally suited to fill the role of a man who's made up his mind, and and yet the basis of that decision points to what Jackie alluded to—mental health issues, yeah, uh, or a brain uh, tumour, uh, yeah, or or yeah, well, it could be, and then then of course you've got uh the the sister Condon, what what a wonderful persona she has as this sort of woman who's stoic but trapped. And and I suppose to add to that you've got Keegan. He's got a he's had a wow of a time exploiting the peccadilloes of a man who, well, is not he's not quite a hundred percent or a hundred cents in the dollar, is he? Uh so the cinematography as well. I I mean Jackie, Ben Ben Davis, the person who did three billboards, I thought he was outstanding, really outstanding, uh, uh, sort of painting the island itself as another
1: character, yeah? Well, yes, and, um, I mean, the island obviously presents itself too, but that environment, it's, um, it says a lot about the way of life there.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, look, The Banshees of Inner Sherrod, it's comedic, it's dramatic, it's decidedly quirky. I don't think it's a film for all tastes. I mean, you know, but I, I was fascinated and intrigued throughout let me start with, uh, I'll introduce Greg King here. Hello, Greg. I hope you're enjoying your um, your uh, imbibing, shall we say. Uh, he is given Banshees of Inner Sharon
2: 8 out of 10. Where, where are you with this, Peter? Uh, great film. Uh, and also I want to commend the music score by Carter Burwell, um, mm-hmm. and uh, 9 out of 10 from me.
0: Great
2: score.
0: And... Dave Griffiths you'll be right up there too I'm sure.
3: Oh uh, definitely this is one of my favorite films of the year I'm actually giving it a 10 I I, I can't wait to go back and see this film again.
0: Wow yeah I I uh, that's that's how many movies have th- th- got 10 from you this year Dave?
3: Um only 3 I think. Yep.
0: Only 3 movies. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Jackie uh, uh, before I give my score.
1: Uh I think it's an excellent film, but it's not a film for everyone. Um, yeah, you- I had some troubles with it, but I did give it a seven and a half out of ten.
0: And I gave it – this is one of my films of the year, no question. And, you know, it's it's in my top three or four films of the year. I, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I think it'll do very well come Oscar time. It'll certainly get lots of well-deserved plaudits and and, and nominations – So, I'm giving it an eight and a half, you know, pushing a nine out of 10 as well. So, there we go. First of the Boxing Day movies, moving on to Triangle of Sadness. Now, this is M rated, it runs for two hours and 27 minutes. It's a black comedy focusing on beauty, on influences, ostentatiousness, excess. It's about pretension, it's about power, and it unfolds in three parts. And it's written and directed by a Swedish auteur in Ruben Ostland. Uh, we're, we're initially introduced to a model called Carl, played by Harris Dickinson, and an influencer called Yaya. A very sad story there, uh, played by an actor called Charlby Dean. And oh, look, I may as well mention it now. Unfortunately, after making this movie, and this was sort of her breakthrough hit, if you like, Charlby Dean died. So, you know, I found that just staggering, uh, you know, very, very sad. She was raised in South Africa, South African-born, and, uh, yeah, it was quite tragic. She she died after contracting a viral infection, having had her spleen removed following a car accident in the year 2008, apparently, and that made her more vulnerable to the risk of serious infection. So that, that's uh, what I read about her. But, look, this, this couple, the, the model Carl and the influencer Yaya, they, Carl calls out Yaya for always expecting him to pay for her meal when dining out. Although making out beforehand that she'll even up the score. So basically she'll say, no, no, it's all right. I'll, I'll pay for it this time. That's what she says she'll do, but she never does it. But as Yaya reveals, there's more to it than that. And, that That's part one, if you like, and we then move to a luxury yacht where Carl and Yaya have been invited to join a select group of affluent guests without paying for it, obviously, as I say, influencer and so on, and they include a larger-than-life Russian fertiliser magnate, Dmitry is his name, played by Zlatko Burich, and a Swedish tech billionaire, Jarmo Henrik Dawson, uh, who has been stood up. There's going to be a lady involved, but... Uh, yeah, he, he's made it clear that it's not going to happen. And then there's this distinguished elderly British couple called Clementine and Winston, played by Amanda Walker and Oliver Ford Davies. They surprise Carl and Yaya and, I've got to say, us, the audience, with how they've actually made their money. And among others, there's a stroke victim called Therese, played by Iris Bourbon, who's lost the power of speech, apart from repeating the, the German phrase, In Den Vulcan which translates to in the clouds. And those directly servicing the passengers are given a rev up by the vessel's steward, played by Hannah Oldenburg, to ensure they maximise their chances of receiving big tips. And at the same time, this steward is struggling to get the captain, played by Woody Harrelson, to attend to his duties, and he's locked himself into his cabin. Uh, And he's, he's on a bit of a drinking binge, shall we say, Things quickly go from bad to worse when they're confronted by a fierce storm and uh, and more, shall we say? And finally, the, the third part. Several of the passengers, including Carl and Yaya and members of the crew, find themselves on an island without supplies. And unexpectedly, the person that they call the toilet manager, Abigail, played by Dolly De Leon, arrives with limited provisions and takes on a rather rather a new role. So, th- this film. The tri- triangle of sadness—it's a hoot. You never know where it's heading, what's going to happen next. And the title—I've got to say—I uh, hadn't heard. Had any of you heard of the word, the term, triangle of sadness before this movie? Anybody? No. 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 Okay. Well, a- apparently, it's—it's it's a term used in the beauty industry, and it refers to the wrinkle between the eyebrows. Yeah. Right there, we go. There's a. There's a reference to it early on in the movie, is there not uh Peter um, are you going to be a male model in the second half of your life? a moral model <laughs> a, male, a male model no I was just I, I was I was thinking of a way to introduce you and I was just thinking <laughs> you know you and Carl, you know the two of you, my friend
2: <laughs> i uh, I don't know how to answer that, but I what I can't right. yeah, <laughs> what but I, I can, can say. Though. This is an absolutely brilliant film because it is full of political and social commentary. Uh, In fact, a, a subtitle for the film might be Eat the Rich, with redemption um, but uh, this this uh, uh, Ruben Ostlund uh, has really made a superb film and he's, he made Force Majeure and The Square which won Palm d'Or and so did Triangle of Sadness and what he does is he takes human and political and social situations and takes them to an illogical extreme but a very clever sort of extreme and what impressed me so much about this film is that it is full of commentary uh, it's if you listen carefully to the dialogue, if you watch what happens to each of the characters, and especially as it's um, shot in three parts, um, partly it was affected by lockdown, so it was uh, delayed to some extent, but um, it, it was shot in three chapters or three parts, and it's the third chapter that is the most telling of all, and I, I found that particularly uh, exciting. This is a superb film. It is one to savour because if you're looking for something different, unusual, uh, but has a lot to say about the human condition, uh, then I think you'll find Triangle of Sadness is a real winner. And it just won the European Film Award for Best Film yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, great, I mean, great it, film. It,
0: it, scenes and situations are deliberately exaggerated. They're played upon. Uh, it is commentary about the haves and have-nots in society, the beautiful people and, and the downtrodden. And um, I, it, it's actually it's the third part, Dave, of a loosely connected trilogy exploring masculinity from uh, Ruben Oslan. So, yeah, I, he, he's a decidedly different kind of filmmaker again, isn't he?
3: He is, and I absolutely love this film. I thought this film was um, – I know it sounds weird – with them both coming out on the same day, but this was uh, one of my favourite films of this year. I sat there, and what I liked about the film was you never knew what was going to happen next. I was lucky enough to have seen this film before trailers got out there or anything like that, so I was able to sit down and and not know what was going on next. Woody Harrelson, I thought, was absolutely brilliant <laughs> um, in this film. Um, that brilliant scene with... Uh, him and the Russian businessman sitting down getting drunk and talking is just absolutely amazing. Um, there is one scene in there. I should warn people about, um, the one that goes on for about 50, the one that goes on for 15 minutes. You mean? Yeah. If you've got a little bit of a weak stomach, um, you may be uh, a little bit sickened by what happens when the storm hits the boat. But, um, for me, I was in stitches laughing, um, it was one of the funniest scenes I think I've seen all year um, in cinema, and that's what I love about um, Ruben's films is that you never know what's going to happen next, whether it's going to be a deeply tragic moment, um, an action-packed moment, or something that will make you laugh until you cry and you get all of that with this film. Jackie, have you seen the shorts at least or the trailer for this or not?
1: No. Luckily, I'm, I'm I've uh, avoided uh, and them and, and listening to Dave there. Thank you. I'm to see
0: it tomorrow. Yeah, well, several of the performances stand out, and Dave's already mentioned Woody Harrelson. He looks totally comfortable as an alcoholic Marxist who prefers (laughs) a burger and fries to fancy food. I I mean, really, it just—it's—he just seems so so at home here. Um, And you know, that's not to sort of condemn Harrelson in any way. It uh, just—it's—it's quite a noteworthy performance. And, And I just thought the other one, Dave Burich, He's unmissable as this unkempt Russian capitalist always out for a good time. I mean, really extraordinary. And isn't De Leon a bit of a surprise packet as someone readily able to take advantage of the situation in which her character finds herself? Uh, So that, again, was delightful. And then the straight-laced delivery of Amanda Walker and Oliver Ford Davies in disarming Carl and Yaya.
2: Peter, wasn't that a beaut scene, eh? It's just one of many fantastic scenes. It's just a a great film. Yeah, and then there's a
0: dynamic between Carl and Yaya, so wonderfully captured by Dickinson and uh, an influencer, uh, sort of Dean, as it were, who who bounce so well off each other. So, yeah, I mean, it really is tragic, unfortunately, that we we lost one of the stars of this at a very young age. I think she was in her her, her 32, something of that nature. But, um, look, like its predecessor, as you rightly say, Peter, the, the square won the Palm Door. So did this one, with very good reason. It's quite bizarre. It's it's an unpredictable film that does push boundaries. It does not set a fast pace. It's not going to suit all tastes, again, Jackie. But it certainly wins my plaudits for originality and for execution. Score out of ten,
3: Dave Griffiths, please. Yeah, I'm giving it an eight out of ten. I really, really loved it. Mm-hmm. and Peter Krauss it's great to see a film that
2: uh at the end of it audiences will be discussing for quite a long time, and that okay. makes a great film uh yeah. ten out of ten from me oh wow
0: wow 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 okay that's that is a big one there's no question about that so okay we've 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 already started with two pretty special films for this Boxing Day special on JR88FM. What was your score, Alex? I, 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 Sorry, good good question. Eight out of ten for me as well. Now, I want to go to a movie that is populist, but whether it will be popular is another matter because we've seen documentaries about this particular person and, I mean, this is... I want to dance with somebody. It runs for two hours and 24 minutes. It's M rated and the tumultuous life of the world's most awarded female vocalist is put under the spotlight in this film. We're talking about Whitney Houston played by Naomi Ackie. She, I, I, I don't think there's any question, the greatest voice of a generation. She enjoyed the highest of highs and succumbed to excess indulgence and heartache. I mean, tragically, she died at forty-eight, and her only child followed suit when she was only twenty-two. Now, the fact that this woman, Whitney Houston, had a remarkable voice was obvious when she sang in church, but nurturing and perfecting it, well, that was rather tough because her mother, Sissy, played by Tamara Tuny, quite some singer herself, was was a, the head of the choir, where Whitney was the soloist and. She was a very, very tough taskmaster, the mother. So she was a perfectionist. She implored Whitney to pronounce every word very, very clearly, to round the words and to recognise and appreciate that each song told a story. And she was the one telling it. So there was a responsibility there. And Sissy and her husband, John, played by Clark Peters, had a particularly volatile relationship. He's presented as fiery, as controlling. You know, very manipulative. A chance meeting with No Nonsense Robin Crawford, played by Nefessa Williams, proved timely and liberating for Whitney. The the pair became best friends. They moved in together. And then Whitney got a big break. She performed in front of the head of Arista Records, a famed record producer by the name of Clive Davis. Stanley Tucci fills that role. He was a Harvard Law graduate. His previous successes. In the music industry, you talk about the likes of Barry Manilow, Simon and Garfunkel, just to name a couple of them. He he was at a, a another record label before he basically started Arista. Uh, Davis immediately signed up Whitney and lovingly nurtured her career, which which took off and soared. She was the preeminent singer of her day, but but more riches would have followed with the release of the the movie The Bodyguard. She of course starred opposite Kevin Costner in that one. But tensions remained, and they remained due to the close relationship that Whitney developed with Robin Crawford, the, the young woman I mentioned, and to her father's management style. And then she met Bobby Brown, played by Ashton Sanders. That became the best of times and very much the worst of times. Soaring above all of this, though, in this biopic written by Anthony McCartan, who was the man behind Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, is Whitney's big, big voice, her extraordinary ability to reach notes that others could only dream of, and, and not only just to reach these notes but to then hold them. I mean, quite something to listen to. Indeed, she rounds every word and note. She savours it, as do her adoring fans, millions upon millions globally. I and mean, She became the only artist to, to do what the Beatles couldn't do, for example, achieve seven consecutive number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. So, look, whilst it's a warts and all portrayal of the life and times of a vocal genius based on the other things that I've seen, the documentaries and the readings, I reckon it appears that her down times with Bobby Brown were not given fulsome treatment here, Peter. What did you think?
2: Look, I agree. This is a very sanitised version of Whitney Houston's life, uh, and that's what disappointed me. It, it, it looks like the family gave uh, a permission for the film to be made because we see lots of photos at the end credits of the real Whitney Houston and her family, et cetera. And I think that was that's a big mistake because you're bordering on hagiography. In other words, you're downplaying any of the negative or other aspects of someone's life and you're only showing the positive her relationship with uh, Bobby Brown was obviously much more fraught and more difficult than was presented on screen in this film version. I mean, there's also been a 2015 TV movie called Whitney, which uh, was much shorter but dealt more with uh, her relationship with Bobby Brown, but nevertheless al- always had the Whitney Houston music. But also, it, it um, downplays her drug. Uh, addiction um we see well, very few, very you know, there are a
0: few scenes where that they're, they're shown up but yeah i mean it, it could certainly
2: have been made more of no question very briefly and it is very quickly cut away cassie lemons who directed this film has used swirling camera work to try and paper over some of the aspects of the dialogue which i I think sometimes is not particularly good. Um, and also some of the uh, characterizations. This is, this is a film that I call a could have been. In fact, even the title doesn't work for me. I want to dance with somebody. Perhaps the greatest love or something that showed more about the Whitney Houston character. Because really I want to dance with somebody means, means nothing uh, apart from being one of her hit songs. So, uh, and the writer Anthony uh, McCartan who wrote Bohemian yep. Rhapsody Which similarly was also, I thought, sanitized and and poorly written at times. I think this biopic. is uh, very unfortunately uh, not a good film, and and that disappointed me because hearing Whitney Houston's voice, because it's largely her voice, 95% of it anyway is her voice in the film, Uh, Naomi Aki does well to uh, mime her, but, um, but, but of course, Whitney Houston, great singer, but I think this film does her a disservice uh, in terms of uh, Houston's story. It papers over also very quickly the bodyguard. What happened? to the the film that was so important to her, uh, opposite Kevin Costner, dismissed in a few minutes. I mean, it's just – and she was in two other films as well. Look, there's so much um, that was missing in this film that I was very disappointed by the end of it. I thought it was going to be a much better film. Well, I mean,
0: Naomi Aki brings emotion and gravitas to the role. As Whitney at her best, she she is a shining light. At her worst, a, a broken shell. The one that really uh, impressed me was I thought Tamara Tooney uh, was really grounded in her portrayal of a mother who you knows just how special a gift her daughter has, but isn't willing to cut her any slack. Jackie, was there anything meritorious in this movie from your perspective?
1: Oh, gee, I think Peter said it all and he, I think he's read my mind. Um, <clears throat> possibly the only thing I would uh, really add, and I do agree with everything you've said, Peter, the only thing I'd add is uh, is the dialogue as well. It was like a TV soapy dialogue. The, it didn't push the narrative or give any depth or any understanding to what was going on. It simply was almost like ticking the boxes and stating what was happening that we could see on the screen at that moment? Um, so no, the the singing obviously rose up. Yes, but I agree. Even Peter, with the title, what you said about the title of it, I walked away thinking that wasn't the title that matches the film at all. So
0: yeah, yeah. Well, well Clark Peters he brings some swagger and sleaze to his portrayal of John Houston, and Nefesa Williams adds spice and spark as Robin Crawford, whose journey with Whitney is, well, far from straightforward. Then uh, there, there's a lot of warmth in the portrayal by John, uh, by Stanley Tucci, uh, the sort of warmth and smarts that he brings to the piece as a record executive with an open door policy for his most successful client. Uh, Dave, any, any uh, respite from the negativity or not?
3: No, look, I thought the only thing that saved this film was Naomi Aki and Stanley Tucci's performances because the rest of this film was just a hallmark version of Whitney Houston's life. I, there there was parts of this film that I I almost want to use the word I found offensive. Um, the line where Whitney's saying to Bobby Brown, I don't blame you for what's happened with my life. It's like I almost wanted to get up and rip the seat out of the uh, floor and throw it at the screen. Um that this film, I know her family wanted this to be a film that that looked at the legacy of Whitney Houston and her music, but you've also got to go back and take the the bad with the good. This is a, an, a performer whose career was tragically and life was cut short by drugs and abuse in her life. And to not show that, I thought it was very, very disrespectful. To, to her legacy and also to other people who have been through similar things. And they couldn't even bring themselves to make reference to the fact that her daughter had passed away either at the end of the film. I thought that was um, very, very disrespectful, but I guess this is what happens when you get a family wanting to put together a movie about somebody's legacy. They don't want to show that dark side, but, I think we needed to see that because I think this ends up being a film that's, that feels untrue. It feels very hallmarky and, and like Jackie said, the dialogue in this, in this sometimes feels like days of our lives. The scene where she's told that she can't see her girlfriend anymore so she just turns around and says, okay, daddy, it just doesn't ring true. Like There must have been inner turmoil inside Whitney Houston at moments like that and it just does not come through in this film.
0: Well, look, I also thought it became unnecessarily stretched. It did need, not need to be the length it was, especially in that final half hour. My involvement waned somewhat during that particular period of time. I, I should, before we give our scores, I should mention that, uh, in terms of, because I said that uh, our, our good friend Greg has given us some scores at least, uh, Triangle of Sadness, he gave an eight out of 10 to as well. For I want to dance with somebody. He gives it a 6 out of 10. Dave, what are you giving it? I'm giving it a
1: 4 out of 10. Wow. Jackie? Uh, Yes, for being tedious and superficial. I I actually did not enjoy I Want to Dance with Somebody. I gave it a 3 out
2: of 10. And Peter Krause? Ah, I wish it was a better biopic and I wish it was more dramatically uh, charged than it was. Um, Because of Whitney Houston's wonderful singing, uh, her her, her soundtrack and music is so great, I'll give it a 5 out of 10, but I'm being a little generous, I think.
0: Yeah, look, I enjoyed it more than you both of, well, all three of you did. Uh, I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. So that's I Want to Dance with Somebody. This is the Whitney Houston story. The Lost King hundred and eight minutes Philippa Langley played by Sally Hawkins. what a brilliant actress she is I can't think of one movie that she has made that I haven't enjoyed she's this quirky this is Philippa Langley the character she plays quirky intelligent divorced mother who suffers from chronic fatigue syndrome she's overlooked for promotion at work a- at night at at one night she goes to a theater production and that night changes the trajectory of her life she's taken by an actor harry lloyd his representation of richard the third in the shakespeare play of the same name and as a result what happens is that philippa langley starts researching the late king of england right richard the third reading all she can about him she determines that he's been misrepresented as a murderous villain so at the age of 32 he was killed in the battle of Bosworth Field, that was the last decisive confrontation in the War of the Roses. And it actually marked the end of the Middle Ages. Uh, That was back in August 1485. In her quest to find out more about Richard III, Langley, who was in her mid 40s, joins a passionate group of acolytes, members of the Richard III Society. Yes, there is such a thing. And one of the question marks surrounding the king is where he was buried and how his body, which has never been recovered, was actually disposed of. Now, through her driven sleuthing, Langley defies cynicism, popular and conventional thought, and academic establishment to actually solve this mystery. Yep, somehow she manages to do it. Her steadfast companion throughout, none other than, yep, you guessed it, Richard III himself, as represented by the actor, who played him in Shakespeare's play. It's Richard III's apparition that appears only to her, to Philippa Langley, throughout her quest to uncover the truth. So, yep, she sees Richard III. It's been written by Steve Coogan, who also plays Langley's ex-husband, John, and also by Jeff Pope. I thought this was delightful, a really delightful, charming film based on Langley's book, The Search for Richard III. Dave, what did you think?
3: Yeah, I found this to be a really interesting film. I thought this was a good example of how you go about doing a biography about an event when there's conflicting stories. Because there was legal action at one point with this film as well where the, the university that comes out of it looking in a bit of a bad light tried to stop the film from being made. But I thought this was a very, very intriguing film. I was surprised that we didn't hear more about the finding of King Richard's body um, because it's such a fascinating way of, ha- of how it happened. Sally Hawkins is absolutely fantastic in this film. I love yeah. the idea of the of her being this downtrodden woman who suddenly makes this historical find um, despite what everybody is saying. It has that same feel to this film as films like The Castle for um, – people listening in Australia, because yeah. it's it has that, she shouldn't be doing this, but she does it and she does it so well and it's all because of what she believes in. So I found this to be a great little film. It's not spectacular, but it held my interest and, yeah, I just adored it. Yeah, well, it's, it's based
0: on Langley's book, The Search for Richard III, really adroitly directed by Stephen Frears, who, who worked with uh, both Coogan and Pope on Philomena. So uh, it's intriguing, it's dramatic, it's comedic, certainly whimsical, combining warmth with pathos. Jackie, have you seen this one? No, I'd like to see it. Mm, I hope that I've I've sort of whetted your appetite. Uh, Peter Krauss, uh, I, I think in less accomplished hands, digging around for the remains of Richard III could quite conceivably have been dry and uninspired. I mean... You know, they're in a, a car park, uh, but fortunately not so here, in fact, far from it, right? What did you think? I haven't seen it. Ah well, there you go. Well, much of the movie's success gets down to the characterisations, Dave. I mean, if there is a better, more consistently outstanding actor than Sally Hawkins, I'm yet to discover him, her or them that that's how i that's how highly i rate her as a performer, superb as Dave said in her portrayal of the too often brushed aside hero and she she displays vulnerability as well as persistence. It's actually the way she carries herself, uh, as much as what she actually does, what she says, uh, that greatly enhances her performance. And the, it, it's interesting. Steve Coogan is, is presented as really personable, not as a cad who's left left the woman, isn't he? I mean, that's it's a it's a bit of a different portrayal, it actually paints him in a reasonably good light, doesn't it, Dave?
3: Yeah, he's an interesting character because he's kind of left his wife because she isn't into the intimate side of the relationship in the same way as what he is anymore. But even though he makes fun of her with his kids about what she's doing, about looking for King Richard, you can still tell that he kind of believes in her. But also I think I find Coogan's screenwriting here something of a uh, a bit of brilliance as well because – they kind of play with you as the audience in that once Philippa starts seeing King Richard and he's talking to her, you start to wonder her about her mental stability. But it ends up working really, really well in the film as a as a vehicle for her to be able to talk out what she's going through at that time and how she's feeling. So it it serves that purpose as being a voice for her to talk to and an ear to listen, but also makes you wonder about her own uh, mental state as well. Mm. Well, Mark Addy is compelling as well as the
0: ultimately self-serving archaeologist that's beholden to the, the university you spoke of, the Uni of Le- Leicester, w- which claimed much credit for, for the discovery. And, uh, look, I think it benefits from a lightness of touch, a very nice film. Uh, I'll, I'm giving it a 7.5 out of 10. Dave? Yeah, I'm giving it a a 6.5 out of ten. Six and a half, and Greg King gives it a 6 out of 10. I don't think I – did. I I didn't give you Greg's score of the last one. I want to dance with somebody, did I? 6 out of 10. That's what uh, he gives this. Now, we're we're basically all but out of time, and we've got – I just want to mention we'll hopefully sort of deal with the other two next week uh, in a bit more detail, but there there are a couple of – uh, family movies that that need to be seen. One of them is Lyle, Lyle Crocodile, which is a lot of fun, and uh, Javier Bardem is just a, it's like a panto performance from him. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, the, the interesting thing is that I, this is the first time, I suppose, that all of my, well, not all of my grandchildren, but three of my grandchildren attended this film. They are aged three, five, and seven. And for a three-year-old to sit through an entire movie like she did and enjoy it as much as she did, she sat there absolutely transfixed. That is surely a great sign. So that's Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Uh, I'll just get a score uh, as, a, as a bit of a taste tester. Uh, I'm giving it a seven and a half. Uh, who else has seen this one? Nobody else. Okay. <laughs> Well, that's fine. Um, and then the the only other movie is Puss in Boots The Last Wish, which is also a fun movie and it, it sort of stretches the credibility in terms of um the, the the characters involved and there's there's lots of, if you like, famous characters that we, we read as kids in cartoons and, and um in in uh, kids' stories that we'd be familiar with. Again and uh, and fairy j- tales, Alex. Pardon Most ones are fairy tales. Nursery Rhymes and Fairy Tales, they're the words that I would be looking for. Um, it, it's quite a quite a pleasant film uh, and, again, my grandkids went to this one. They didn't like this quite as much. They, they were a bit restless. Uh, they, that's not to say they didn't enjoy it, but they, they got more out of Lil Lyle, Lyle Crocodile. Uh, what would you give this one out of ten, Jackie? Uh,
1: Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, I gave it seven out of ten. I thought it was terrific fun and very inventive.
3: Yeah, look, I I gave it a 7 out of 10 as well. Uh, Dave, have you seen this or not? I have, and I gave it a 7 out of 10 and a very, very key scene for the very last frame of this movie to give you a little bit of an indication of what's going to happen in the Shrek franchise as well. Ah, indeed.
0: Gee whiz, yes. Thank you very much. Folks, it's been a pleasure having you on board. Jacqueline Hamilton. I've seen it too. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm missing you. Actually, that's an appropriate way to end this segment, isn't it? Um, Peter, what did you give it?
2: I really enjoyed it too. I thought it was a a lovely journey and I gave it 7 out of 10. There you go, so all all sevens. Um, Talking about that, you're dismissed. Uh, Enjoy
0: your New Year's Eve celebrations, which are coming up soon, and uh, thank you for your contributions in 2023. Folks, go to the movies, enjoy yourself, have fun, and, uh, well, Go Australia on tomorrow, Boxing Day. Catch you soon on First On Film and Entertainment.